Hello and welcome to Overdrive, where we embrace the glories of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including research into do the benefits of stop-start technology outweigh the irritations. We road test the Citroen Picasso. You'd expect something a little different from Citroen, and this is it. We road test the Suzuki Solerio, silly name, but a good little car. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories, including car bibs a way to eat in your car without staining your clothes. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Now, let's get the program going. First, the news. Many new cars now have stop-start technology where the car turns itself off when you are stopped in traffic. But does it save much fuel? Emission analytics in Britain have conducted some real-life tests. They found, for example, that a VW Golf spent 9% of its time in the off mode. This would indicate that the technology is worthwhile. But they also looked at the new European drive cycle tests that are used to give the car an official fuel economy rating and found that during the laboratory test the car was in the off mode 24% of the time. This may account for the fact that the official rating figures usually show better performance than the real-world tests. One of the sad facts of owning a popular car is that it is more likely to be targeted by thieves to get spare parts. San Francisco drivers of the Toyota Prius hybrid have noticed an increase in car battery theft. The police and dealers have also reported a growing trend in Prius theft. The authorities have also noted that the thieves have become more efficient at removing the batteries than Toyota service agents are. The removal method that mechanics are trained in takes about a full hour. However, the police say criminals are accomplishing the task in as little as 20 minutes. The removal of the battery requires some skill as it weighs over 50 kilograms. In the US... Getting a new Prius battery from Toyota can cost as much as $3,000, while buying one second-hand can cost less than $1,000. Reversing a trailer on the back of your vehicle is a task that many people struggle with. The main problem is that you have to turn the steering wheel in the opposite direction to the way you want the trailer to go. Now the new Ford F-150 has come up with a solution. Using similar technology to that which has allowed automated parking systems, the Ford now makes backing a trailer much easier. By watching through the reversing camera, you can simply turn a dial in the direction that you want the trailer to go, and the car automatically takes the correct action. Apparently it also corrects the tendency to turn the wheels too hard. When former Formula One driver Michael Schumacher had a skiing accident and suffered brain damage, It was a news story for many months. But when Formula One driver Jules Bianchi was badly injured in a crash at the Japanese Grand Prix in October last year, it was initially covered but soon forgotten. Sadly, the latest news about Bianchi is not good. He has been in a coma since the accident, and his recent condition has been classified as stagnant. His father said that while they still hope for the best, they have prepared themselves for the worst. While there's life, there's hope, even though after a while you are hoping for a miracle, Philippe Bianchi said. 
Amsterdam has announced plans to become the first city in the Netherlands to operate a fully electric bus transport system by 2025. The city's bus fleet, which currently runs on diesel fuel, will be gradually replaced with electric vehicles, and the first batch of 40 electric buses will arrive on Amsterdam's streets in two years' time. The city authorities have reached an agreement with Amsterdam's transit operator, GVB, that its entire fleet of 200 buses will be replaced by zero-emission vehicles over the next 10 years. A fleet of 35 electric buses is already operating at the city's Schiphol airport to convey passengers between terminals and aircraft, following an agreement with the Chinese manufacturer BYD in 2013. Other Dutch cities and regional governments are also looking into electrifying their public transport. When we talk of electric vehicles for transport, we first think of cars and then perhaps trucks. But now we have the world's first electrical car and passenger ferry powered by batteries, which has entered service in Norway. The unique solution is a result of a competition that the Ministry of Transport and Communications and the Norwegian Public Roads Administration launched in 2010. The ferry only uses 150 kilowatt hours per route, which corresponds to three days' use of electricity in a standard Norwegian household. As the power grid in the region is relatively weak, they installed three battery packs, one lithium-ion battery on board the ferry, and one at each pier to serve as a buffer. The battery slowly recoups this energy from the grid until the ship returns to disembark passengers and recharge. The ship's onboard batteries are recharged directly from the grid at night when the ferry is not in use. And that has been the news. The Citroen C4 Picasso is in many ways a unique car. It is somewhere between a station wagon, a hatchback and a people mover. It is a reasonably small car that sits a bit tall and it seats five comfortably. It comes at a price but it is undoubtedly a distinctive vehicle which suits the Citroen image perfectly. Paul Morell from practicalmotoring.com.au and I have driven the car so let's have a chat. Paul, it does have a distinctive look, doesn't it? It does, David. It's interesting that the French always manage to approach things differently from the rest of the world and they've certainly done so here. It's not as though it's the extreme of, say, the 2CV or the DS from back in 1955. The DS came out. Uh, it, but it, it's nonetheless, it, it looks a bit bigger than a station wagon without looking as ugly as some people movers. It has a, it has a definite identity crisis. I mean, most people would suggest that an MPV, which stands for mass people mover, um, by definition should have seven seats, and this one only has five. So it's it's a little confused about its role in the world. On the other hand, it has the, it has the forward position for the driver. It has the, the armrests that seem to be obligatory in the category. Um, it, has, it, has, it has a number of features that, that qualify it as an MPV, um, apart from not having seven seats. Mm, but it's roomy in that. It's designed, it has that lovely front windscreen that extends over the driver's head. I think it's better than a convertible. A convertible has a structural thing at the top of the windscreen, which when you look up, that's what you mainly see. This has, uh, although it's not open to the sky, it's through a, a windscreen. It's still something you, you can look up above your head and, and see a wonderful, almost panoramic vision. 
It's a, it's a really interesting design thing. As I said, David, you and I may, may be fighting receding hairlines. In this case, the car actually has a receding roof line. <laughs> and behind that, of course, is a, a quite panoramic sunroof. So the, the windscreen almost goes almost flows seamlessly into the into the sunroof. It, it might age me, but it reminds me of, uh, if you can remember, the Jetsons, and George Jetson used to jump into a thing that had a domed glass roof, and it, it feels very much like that. And the whole car feels incredibly futuristic. Yeah, uh, it's very open and that. It is the smaller brother to the uh, Grand Picasso, which is a seven-seater, which has a similar sort of look. Inside, it has two screens to look at. Uh, yes, it does. Um, it has, again, quite an unusual an, an unusual approach to design from Citroen. What they've done is they've, they've put the instruments are in the top screen and that's in the centre of the dashboard. Now, you know, we're normally, we normally expect to see them behind the steering wheel, but the French never seem to be satisfied with the way everyone else does anything. So they've stuck that over into the centre of the, the dashboard and then below that is a secondary dashboard, a uh, secondary screen, um, which shows things like, I'll let you control things like the, the air conditioning and the the, um, the cruise control, climate control, and all the all these sort of secondary things you don't need quite as much. Yeah, so the top one really gives you speed and 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 so on, and the below one is the command centre that, that does it. Um, I prefer to have the 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 dials in front of me, to be quite honest with you. But nonetheless, it's pretty clear, and uh, of course, it works the dials as uh, basically being like a computer screen that uh, you can change an, a number of things on. Yes, that's becoming much much more common now. The ability to customise all sorts of things, including now screens. So you can have you can have the information being displayed that you think is most important. I mean, it's surprising how few people, in fact, rely on a on a tachometer these days. And because it's an automatic car, um, there's no there's not the same same need to watch the revs of the engine all the time. So people can customise the things that they find important for themselves when they're driving, and and minimise or reduce the things that aren't. It's clever. It's clever thinking, and it makes the car more suitable for various different drivers. Yeah, and driving it, you do sit up high, uh, uh, quite high, not quite a SUV, but it gives you a little bit of that. And it steers quite well, somewhere between a hatch and a people mover. Yeah, it's, it steers far better than its initial in, uh, appearance would indicate. Um, you can you can punt it around. I mean, these, these vehicles aren't going to be driven like sports cars, and they shouldn't be judged by the standards of sports cars. But it's it's a very pleasant drive. It's certainly very pleasant around town. And, and as you say, you sit up a little bit higher. Because of that incredibly open glass area, you've got a, a, a fabulous view all round. Um, it's like driving a fishbowl on wheels. <laughs> 1.6 litre turbocharged four-cylinder engines. There's only one engine variant. In fact, mainly only one variant for, for most of it. Uh, that's actually a pretty impressive engine, isn't it? It is. It's an engine that's one... It, it's, it's jointly designed by BMW and Peugeot, Citroën, whoever they are, that, that partnership. Uh, it's been a very, very successful engine for them. It's one engine of the year eight times in a row from 2006 to 2014. Um, a really, a really competent engine. All right, Paul. Always good to talk to you. I do appreciate your time. Thanks very much. Thank you, David. Lovely to talk to you too. And that's Paul Morell from the practicalmotoring.com.au website talking about the Citroen C4 Picasso. And you can hear a longer version of that interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au.
Overdrive, answering your questions across Australia. Suzuki has a new, very small car on the market, the Solerio. Now, Solerio is the Latin name for a moth. I suppose naming something after a small insect has a certain appeal. The de Havilland DH-98 Mosquito was a British multi-role combat aircraft. When it began production in 1941, it was one of the fastest operational aircraft in the world. Made mainly of wood, I believe. But apparently the name didn't hold it back. But I digress. The Suzuki Solerio is dirt cheap, but to say that gives an impression of being very poor in quality. I've driven the manual and the automatic, and there are a number of things that make it appealing. Brent Davidson from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury has also had a go, so let's compare notes. Brent, might the name hold it back a bit? I don't know. To me, it sounded like something you'd boil up and uh, make into a sauce to put on top of um, baked potatoes. I don't, I don't know. Um, look, the Solerio, it, it, it's a name that will stick. Regardless of the name, it's a damn fine little motor car. And I have to say that I was, I, look, I got into the car, I studiously avoided the, its predecessor, the Alto, for several years. And um, yes. I, I couldn't avoid Solerio, so I got into it and I thought, mm, it could be an interesting few days. And the further I got down the road, the more I loved it. I just admired its honesty. Yeah, it's a little three-cylinder engine, not a lot of power. Uh, no, not a lot of power at all. It, it, <laughs> it, it, it's lucky. Like, it wouldn't make the starter motor for a decent engine, but it's 50 kilowatts and 90 newton metres. You know, I've, I've seen um, um, little little model aeroplane engines kick out more power. But no, seriously, look, we're poking fun at the car unnecessarily. It is, it is a lovely little car. The engine is lively as all get out. I think Suzuki's learned a lot from its motorcycle past with this little three-cylinder engine because it just revs and revs and revs, keeps on revving, doesn't give in. It's like, it's like a cattle dog. You know, you take it out and say, away you go, and it just says, well, you tell me when to stop and I'll, I'll stop. Yes, 90 newton metres, yeah, yeah, the 300 or more is typically around a Holden Commodore or so, I think, uh, so um, let, let alone getting into the bigger ones, so it is there. But I, I tell you what, came in a manual, I found very easy to use, and a CVT automatic, which I, I thought matched well with the engine. I hardly knew it was a CVT. Well, look, you won up on me, David. I didn't drive the, uh, the manual version. Um, I jumped straight into the CVT, and I'm very inclined to agree with you. I think the CVT... CVT and this little engine are having a nice little love affair with each other and we shouldn't disturb them. It just rolls along the highway very nicely. Um, yeah, look, it, there, there is no need for a conventional automatic in this car. There really isn't. No. No, in fact, uh, I got better miles per gallon of uh, fuel economy out of the CVT than I did out of the manual. Um, although it's always a bit hard to measure because they, they give it to you on the screen in, uh, what is it, kilometres per litre. Yeah. And, uh, which, is, of course, is the but, other but way see, around. Here's the thing, though, David. You, you actually measured it. I couldn't be bothered wringing the sponge out. <laughs> you know, it, I don't think the fuel gauge moved, and when it did, and it did eventually say, look, put some liquid in me that will make thing, make little explosions in my three-cylinder engine, that, that, there was so little of the stuff that we had, and no, I just can't be bothered measuring it. It, uh, it, I gave it back in one case with more than half a tank of petrol. It, it's almost against my religion. And you'd course, driven 10,000 kilometres. <laughs> <laughs> 
I got about 5.8, 5.9 litres per hundred, which is uh, higher than the rated. I think it's rated at about 4.6. Yeah. Uh, but, but that's still, you know, that, a lot of that was city driving. Exactly right. But the thing is, we're, we're talking a lot about its, its engine and its, its, its thriftiness. The fact of the matter is, I built this little thing up the uh, M1 uh, freeway, uh, and I was sitting on a legal 110 kilometres an hour, and, and I should have been deafened, but I wasn't. I was listening to the radio quite uh, quite easily, and I'm hard of hearing. Uh, you know, uh, this this little car is actually quieter than than many that you would think would would absolutely cane it in the in the noise level stakes. Not only that. I finished my drive with a, a, a nice little uh, jaunt on a, on a B road, and it, hmm, it's, not a, it's not a Mazda MX-5, let's, let's be honest here, but um, it does make you feel good. It's a car that makes you smile. Yeah, and, and a good little turning circle, lovely to tootle around in the city in, I found. It was you know, that sort of one, easy to park, it's not quite as wide as many cars, uh, only sits two across the back, but yeah, uh, you know, it, it's that one that just makes you feel comfortable, uh, uh, not uh, not so squeezy, yet it's not taking up a lot of room around you, and it's easy to manoeuvre. Yeah, absolutely, I, I wanted to drive it down the aisles of the supermarket and just reach out and grab stuff <laughs> off the shelves, and my wife wouldn't let me. I thought, you know, this is, this redefines the shopping trolley. Brent, again, thanks very much for your time, David. It's always my pleasure. I read Brent Davison from the Newcastle Herald and the Illawarra Mercury, and we were talking about the Suzuki Solario, a little micro car, but one that really punches above its weight. And you can hear a longer interview by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. Overdrive. If you have a question, suggestion, or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. And it's once again time to chat a little bit, mull over a few facts to do with the more unusual stories to do with motoring and transport. And to help me, as always, along the way, I have Errol Smith. G'day, Errol. G'day again, David. Yeah, good to have you back. And Errol, you're going to start us with a story. Well, David, if you've ever eaten in your car, you know the inconvenience of spilling things down your front while you're trying to change gears, overtake and yell at the kids while looking over your shoulder. Uh, It happens to me all the time. Now, well, a solution is at hand with the car bib, especially designed to funnel your crumbs and spilt milkshake onto the floor of the car where it belongs or while keeping your clothes spick and span. Uh, now, now you might think this sounds like a prank, but in the US, where apparently one in five meals, 20% of meals, are now eaten in people's cars, this is a serious product for a rapidly waste-expanding market. Did, would, would, one, would, would you want a car bib, David? Would you wear um, one? What? Well, I'm not sure, you know, you've got to keep your legs apart so that it, and, you know, if you spilt drink, it did funnel down that and actually go onto the floor. One in five meals. That's, a, you know, that's not one meal every five days. They're saying every two days you've had at least uh, a bit more than one meal in the car. Yeah. That's an amazing statistic, a, a very American statistic, I think. 
Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Apparently, um, they they quote some other figures. They say it's about five uh, percent of your of British drivers. Um, but um, uh, this this you thing see, that's is five percent of drivers. That's not even five percent of meals. Mm. Sorry. You sorry. Know, the bit... full, the full quote is five percent of drivers uh, of British drivers is eating at the wheel more than three times a week. So oh, okay. Whatever that more than works three out times as. a week. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so nice. I guess I guess people are grabbing takeaway on their way to work, or I don't know. I, I, yeah. I've I've never, to be honest, I've never understood it because it just leaves your car filthy, no matter how careful you are. Yeah, and your car smells your car smells of whatever you just ate. But um, well, if you drink a milk product and it spills onto the carpet, yeah, that's going to rot and. And smell terribly, doesn't mm, it? It'd be, mm. It's a bit like a car going underwater. You you were left with a, a smell that you know just sort of permeates the whole car. Yes, yes, yes. Especially as it gets worse, goes off. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they, had... they they polled some drivers to establish which were the most dangerous foods, and unsurprisingly, coffee came out there. Um, but it was mm. closely followed by uh, soup. I don't mm. understand that either. Tacos, hot dogs, and burgers. Um, Soup. So, I presume they're not eating out of a bowl, but out of a cup. Yeah. Oh, I. One would hope. One would hope. <laughs> not a bowl with a soup spoon. <laughs> but um, wait, apparently, wait. Uh, according to a study from Leeds University, when people were eating at the wheel, they drove forty-four percent slower. Oh. Now, if you're going to get there slower anyway, <laughs> why not just stop and eat, <laughs> and then drive normally? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> We had a friend who loved his food, and uh, they noticed in his car that there was a triangle on the front of the seat of a much darker sort of colour, and, and they never knew what it was until one time they're going along and he was eating fried chicken, and he wiped his hands sort of between his legs on the front of the seat. And As so there, yeah, the, there he ended up with this uh, dark stain. Is it illegal to eat while you're driving? I don't think it is. Well, um, yeah, they. I, I, I assume it. It's it's a country and state dependent thing, but um, certainly mm. in the US, where the story is from, it is perfectly legal. However, the key point about the law relating to this is that you have to be in full control of your motor vehicle. Uh, they say if the police found that your snacking was causing you to drive carelessly, then you would be charged. Hmm. So I wonder um, if it's more yeah. more dangerous than texting. I, especially if you found something hot, I presume it would be. Mm, yeah, well, there's Cat another st statistic in here I, I find is a little bit hard to believe, but they say that 80% uh, of car accidents and 65% of nemesis were caused by eating as you drive. No, I don't believe and that. That sounds, uh, sounds somewhat exaggerated. Yeah. yeah. Canberra is now banning drinking alcohol while you're driving, which seems pretty reasonable. That's mixing both, really, isn't it? Guess what? It's drink, drinking and drinking while driving, as opposed to drinking then driving. <laughs> it's really a multi-skilling issue. I wonder if women are better at it than men. Well, that is the think... uh, that, that that is the uh, the cliche, isn't it? Hmm. Well, we, saw, the... we saw someone one time driving while they were eating cereal out of a bowl. Now, the other thing is that there's another product on there called Slob Stopper. And yes, this, this is this is competition. For, for yeah. the car bib. 
and their slogan is bibs aren't just for babies. Actually, they're not stopping you being a slob. It's really only diverting the consequences, isn't it? Mm, yes. Yeah. I mean, what do you do? Do you put sort of a like a, a plastic lined tray at the bottom of the bib in front of you? Yes. <laughs> They, they made one of the worst ads possible of a guy sitting in a stationary car spilling his coffee because a good-looking lady walked past, so highly sexist as well, as well as one almost loses faith in the human race, really, isn't it, that you've got yes. to have products such as these. Yes. Or the, now, it, sorry? Or that or the people feel compelled to eat in their car, that they must, mm. they must get to where they're going and eat at the same time. Mm. I can't find, you know, five minutes to eat something. Oh, well. Another story. Now, a young woman treated her Peugeot so badly that her stepfather gave it away as a prize in a competition. Ella Williamson, she's 20, she abandoned her well-worn Peugeot 307, had about 150 kilometres on the, 50,000 kilometres on the clock, uh, she abandoned it in the car park of her f- stepfather's business, James Baggett. Uh, he runs a business called Super Unleaded. It's a motoring website. And they reckon it's valued at about $2,000. Uh, so he decided to write an advertisement that said, whoever likes the Facebook page that they put the advertisement on, they will do a random draw and someone will win this particular prize. <laughs> do you treat your car badly, Errol? I, I think that um, that uh, his daughter definitely did not have a car bib. <laughs> definitely not. Ella, Ella did not have a car bib, or um, or what was the other one? A, a slob stopper. I think. I think. Slob given stopper. the state of her car, she needed both of those, and it's maybe still wouldn't help. Um, she yeah, needed plastic over the whole <laughs> interior. She should have left the plastic on that they often deliver cars with. Yes. Well, they often put it on the outside so they don't get scratched, but maybe she needed it on the inside. There's a product there, Errol. <laughs> the only I've thing is that it'd act like a swimming pool, so all this sort of spilt coffee and, and McDonald's shakes and things might start to collect in a sort of soupy mess in the bottom. Mm. Mm. I don't know. Well, I, I, I had a couple of younger sisters and, and their room, rooms when they were teenagers kind of reminds me of this car. So um, uh, I can see, see where it's coming from. All right, Errol. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks again for your time. No worries, David. See you. And that's Errol Smith talking some unusual stories in the world of motoring and transport. And you can hear a longer version of that by going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au. And this has been Overdrive. My thanks to Errol Smith, Paul Morell, Brent Davidson and Paul Just for their great help during the program. Overdrive is syndicated to stations across Australia on the Community Radio Network. I'm David Brown. Thanks for listening. <laughs>